Broadcasting live from the ESPN 690 Anajar and Levine Studios. This is Action Sports Chats with Brent Martineau. I think I'm going to have to just start a sports psychology show. More to do. Awesome. Uh, maybe just turn this one into it. Oh, that's fine. I don't know why I like talking. Maybe I should have studied psychology. Maybe you should have. That's so did Urban Meyer, though. Really? How did that work out last Not year? well. Not but, well at all. <laughs> like, I don't know. It just fascinates me. We talked about how much we spent like 20 minutes talking about Doug Peterson off one soundbite yesterday. That is true. We did that. You know, like mm-hmm. it, we didn't even have it planned, really. It just organically happened. But it was an interest. It's an interesting conversation. I mean, the psychology of the Jacksonville Jaguars right now is is a thing. Hey, everybody, I should say hello to you if you're jumping in. What up with you? Action Sports Jacks on ESPN 690. We're actually carrying some conversation over, I think, from our Dream 18 show we just had from DeVoli's House of Cards, another fun edition. Talking some golf, we do that on Wednesdays uh, through the month of June. It's like it's a seasonal thing uh, through the month of June, the Dream 18 show. So we just did that uh, from 2 to 3. Uh, we'll have it again next week as well. Brett Martin, Casey Kurtz live at Tivoli's House of Cards, St. John's County. Come on by, say hello. Got some kids in and out. The school's ending. Uh, this little guy over here looking at some Pokemon. I mean, yeah. When I, I figure, I was just talking to Mark Tivoli. We're going to do like a little summer camp out here on Wednesdays. Oh, yeah, you know, that's a good idea. kids out, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we've got to have some fun with this stuff. Uh, Rip those Charizards. <laughs> whatever that means. A little Snorlax <laughs> as well. Hey, you better you better come down uh, to, uh, to, you better come down here to explain everything to me <laughs> when we get to that point. Yeah, I can do that. Uh, so anyway, uh, we're here until 6 o'clock. Come on by. Action Sports Jacks OT, abbreviated edition today uh, because the shrimp start early in Norfolk, and uh, you can hear the jumbo shrimp. Each and every day they play on ESPN 690, your home for Jacksonville Jumbo Shrimp Baseball. So, listen, the psychology of what we were just talking about yesterday with Doug Peterson, the psychology of the Jacks. Uh, we're talking about the psychology of uh, golf, right? Why you would get angry. You, and you brought this up on the show, and it's fascinating, really. The more I think about it, the more I'm like, wow, that's like really true. Like, why do, why do people get mad at video games? Uh, why yeah. do we throw the, the controller? Oh, Why do we break the controller? Like, but when I was a kid now, I was a huge Dolphins fan, Miami Dolphins fan. and sure. well, a big Ben Marino fan is what I found out. But, like, when they would lose, and the Bills were good, remember, like in the early 90s especially. And, you know, Marino's so good, but their team is like you could, you kind of knew it. Like, the team was good but not good enough mm-hmm. all the time. Almost, almost all the time it felt that way. I mean, they had some great players, but they just weren't good enough on defense or they couldn't run the ball. And so you knew that. Like, I was savvy enough at my age at that time to know, but I, like, wanted Marino to go to a Super Bowl, win a Super Bowl so bad. And, like, I would – my mom would get so – like, she would – like, really – she didn't get it. Right. Like, she would re- – she did not get it. Like, you know, if Ty gets bad watching the game, I kind of get it. I've been there. <laughs> you know? Amen. My mom did not get it, and she wasn't all about it. <laughs> like she was not having it. You can't win them all. But but there were times when like mom wasn't home, I would throw that remote like at Really? The oh yeah. Oh my gosh. Like I would get like you're sitting there like in hindsight you're like, gosh, I might need some anger management classes here. It's funny you say uh, that about like sports that aren't like I'm controlling the video game, right? So that's why I get mad. I've never like thrown the remote over a sports result. Oh gosh, man. I yeah, I was I've tried. I well, yeah, I did a little bit of that. I mean, the Red Sox did that. Um, 
I gave up on the Red Sox against the Angels in 86, and then Donnie Anderson hit the home run. My mom still reminds me of that to, to this day. It's not over until it's over, you know. Um, <laughs> she'll say it like probably six times a year <laughs> to me still. But uh, it's just crazy, us, the way... Again, we're getting into the psychology and stuff, but if you play video games, you know it. You've been mad. Yeah. Right? And and not Y'all just you, smash but the anybody out too. there. Better believe it. Now there's an older generation right now that either has to tap into when they were playing, like, Nintendo or, or whatever back in the day, um, Atari. Oh, <laughs> listen. listen but, but right now they're saying, I don't get why my kid gets so mad at video games. Well, because you're older and wiser, you dummy. That's why. True. But, <laughs> but you used to do the same. Hey, my cons- controller smashing is equal opportunity. I've done a GameCube controller. I've done a Wii controller, PS2, PS3, PS4. Don't get me started, Brent. Wait, is that just like, is that just a male thing? Yeah, Amanda. So me and Amanda play Fortnite together. She has like a PC and I have PlayStation. And we play in the same house. Our Wi-Fi is really working overtime when we do that. But like, I'll like chuck the controller and like drop a couple of JFCs and... She's like, "What? It's a game. What are you doing?" I'm like, "What do you mean? We got, we got cheated. Like, we got hosed. The game, the game messed us up. Like, what do you, what do you mean?" She's like, "It's a game." I'm like, "No, it's not." Yeah, like I, I think you're right. I think it is like a male-driven thing. I'm not saying that there are no women that don't get mad at that kind of thing. And then I'm thinking, okay, well, what do women get mad at that men are like, "What are you doing?" Yeah, and I, I don't know. It's going like, to be a tough I'm, one for us to answer. Yeah, that's going to be tough. But I'm sure there are things. So, again, we're, we're talking psychology. This is psychology uh, 101 here on ESPN 690. Um, uh, but we'll get away from that point. Let's talk some sports. Uh, we do have later. We'll talk a little bit about the NBA Finals starting up. Uh, the golf is a huge story right now. Uh, and we're not just for our Dream 18 show. So we'll hit on that, even though we spent a lot of time talking about it in the 2 o'clock hour. You can always go back and, and you'll be able to uh, see that on YouTube, Action Sports Shacks on ESPN 690. Uh, but we start with some football. And yesterday, we were at, uh, of course, OTAs. You're allowed one day. We're, we're allowed to go out there one day a week. And so we're out there yesterday. And we, we talked a lot about Travis Etienne. I did a one-on-one interview with Travis Etienne. And uh, the, you know, some of the conversation we had was Alvin Kamara, right? Mm-hmm. We looked up some of his numbers. Is he going to be more of a, a receiver or a running back? Like does, we spent a lot of yesterday talking about ETN, his role, and what kind of back he's going to be. Like, what kind of back will we label him? And it's fun conversation talking about ETN because we've never seen him play a snap in the NFL. We saw him do a lot of cool things at Clemson. And, and now the people, or at least the guy that we think drafted ETN is no longer there in Jacksonville. So, like, to me, that's fascinating because this was an Urban Meyer vision. I don't believe this was a Trent Baalke vision. I think this was an Urban Meyer vision for Travis Etienne. Well, what's the Doug Peterson vision look like? And would you say it's the same because of the style back and who he is for ETN? Or could it be different, Casey, just from a philosophical, offensive-minded point of view? I think it'll be the same in terms of, well, I, I guess we don't really know how they tried to use him, but I think they, they will, it'll be the same in terms of using him with the passing game and the run game and doing both. I don't think they'll just be a one, obviously, a one way to use this guy. I think you can line him up in the backfield, slot, wherever. I think you're going to move this guy around. He's going to be a weapon. 
And I think Doug Peterson understands that's going to use them to the best of his abilities, whether that's in the backfield or lined up as a wide receiver. Well, Jonathan Jones, he writes for CBS, and he was in town yesterday and talking to uh, Travis Etienne as well. Actually, he talked to him right after we talked to him. And Jones does a good job uh, for CBS Sports. And he wrote something about ETN and did something that, like, I guess I wasn't thinking about, but makes a lot of sense when the, you try to draw a comp mm-hmm. to what he is. Like, we, we brought up guys like Kamara. Kamara's been the most, probably the biggest comp to, to ETN. Uh, I think you could bring up a player like Christian McCaffrey because he catches it and he runs, but I think the styles are different. Like he's he's a more shifty player, right? Would you agree? And yeah. Christian McCaffrey. Um, we we even brought up a guy like Jonathan Taylor. Well, look how much he carries it versus he he uh, catches it. So they're not the same. Uh, who else did you bring up along with Kamara? There's somebody uh, else. Eckler. Eckler. There you go. That was a good like 200 carry guy, 60 catch guy. Yeah. Right or 70 Correct. catch guy, something like that. And so, but why didn't we think of this more? Like we compare Lavisca Chenault or. Urban Meyer tried to compare LaVisca Chenault to Debo Samuel. The physical nature of LaVisca, who's a born and bred receiver, but he can play all different things like the Wildcat, and he can line him up in the backfield. And Debo Samuel has made a living doing that. Right now, Debo Samuel's disgruntled about doing that because he doesn't want to do that anymore. He wants to just catch passes, is what it sounds like. Well, Jonathan Jones comes into Jacksonville, talks to Travis Etienne, he writes an article today, and he says, is Travis Etienne Debo Samuel-esque? That's pretty interesting and really kind of makes a lot of sense. Although I still would probably put him in the Camara category more than Samuel. But it could be a matchup type thing for the Jacksonville Jaguars the way Debo Samuel is. Yeah, I mean, I get it. I understand what we're trying to do. Uh, not we, but just I understand. And Travis Etienne's the one that you know said it that he wanted to be like Debo Samuel. So props to him. But I, I'm not gonna lie to you, Brent. I I don't love the idea of that. When you have a guy, I understand the injury had nothing really to do with over usage or anything. It just it, it just happened, right? But I don't love the idea of this guy coming off of injury. Hey, let's get him the ball every time, like we do Debo Samuel. I think we want to. I think you would. In an ideal world for me, you use him, but you don't overuse him early on in his career because now where are we at with Debo Samuel where what he does best is be that weapon, backfield, receiver, everywhere, and he doesn't want to do it anymore. So, like, I like the idea of it, don't get me wrong, but it kind of scares me. Yeah, well, it's an interesting way to look at it. Running back should scare you in general if you're thinking about longevity. Yeah. Like, that's the nature of the position. I mean, seriously, if we're talking about a, a back in general, and now listen, Fred Taylor, long way, got a lot out of him. Obviously, Maurice Jones drew uh, really good years, seemed to go fast at the end, though, which happens. Uh, I mean, what are we talking, five or six years out of a running back? Yes. And, and even if he's brilliant, you're like, six years, that'd be cool. Mm-hmm. You know, not everybody's going to be Frank Gore, but Frank Gore never was he really brilliant either. You know, it's a little different animal. In that sense. Yeah. So I think you got to be careful with the running back position to begin with from a health standpoint and a longevity standpoint. And I get what Debo kind of feels. You're going to take a beating at that running back spot. What's always interesting about the Debo Samuel thing is 
Okay, you're saying you don't want the ball? Like a receiver saying they don't want the ball? <laughs> they try to give you the ball more. Uh, which, again, interesting conversation. ETN, I think, is talking about this more from a matchup standpoint. And honestly, that is why I look at him. Like, that's what I think Urban had in mind. We'll see what Doug Peterson had in mind. But this is a guy that ran for a lot of yards in the ACC at Clemson, yet you see him in the NFL as more of a matchup nightmare, potentially, than a standard back. And so what they do with him is why we've talked about this a lot ever since he got drafted, leading into last year, then he gets hurt, so then we, we can't talk about it anymore. Like, I had a conversation with ETN yesterday, and I said, like, we don't really even know what you were going to do last year. Because remember, they hit him in the preseason. Yep. Like, they hardly used him, and then they used him, like, I think on 10 or 11 plays, and he got hurt on one of them. Mm-hmm. So, it's, it's uh, like, I don't look at ETN as Debo, because, and the only reason I say this, well, it's twofold in my mind. And I might be wrong, but in my mind, it's twofold. One, Debo was receiver first. Yeah. That's why LaVisca kind of gets in that conversation, receiver first, that can do this too. Travis Etienne, running back first. That's his position. Mm-hmm. RB. But he also can really make an impact in the, in the catching game. Yeah. In the receiving game. And so that's – and then the other big difference to me, Casey, is Debo, although Debo is fast. Like, LaVisca's problem of comparing to Debo is he's not like a burner, right? Yes, correct. He's not going to run away from anything. No. Well, ETN can. Sure. And so that – like, but, but I'm not sure ETN has the physical nature of a guy like Debo. See, LaVisca has that quality, and that's why he gets compared. But Debo's like – he can be a physical dude now. Mm-hmm. Uh, ETN reminds me more speed than physical, but let's not sleep on the physical side because, again, he can be an in-between-the-tackles runner and did a heck of a job at it at Clemson. Yeah, so here's kind of my thing with ETN, right? We think he's going to do all these things. We see the videos of him catching passes. Great. Are we giving a guy too much credit for potentially being a pass catcher in the NFL when, one, we've never seen him do it, and two, he did it at college. It it kind of progressed. But his best year he had at Clemson, he only caught 12 footballs. He ran for 1,600 yards as a runner, but he only caught 12 footballs. So are we given too much credit for something that we think can happen? We're not even 100% sure. That's yeah, a fair shake. Um, you know, listen, coming out of LSU, Leonard Fournette didn't catch passes very often. He was not viewed as a pass catcher. Uh, and people were like, I don't know if he can catch. Does he have hands? Can he catch? Well, he, he caught like 80 balls one year. Yeah, no you know. Yeah. So I think it's like, listen, this guy, he might not have been utilized that way because they had all these other weapons, and most of the time he's a runner. You know, he's got the skill set to be able to do it. And he's got, get me out in the open field and, and let me do my thing. See, that's what ETN's got in him. Yeah. See, Fournette never had, he, he, that wasn't his game. So you weren't like, hey, we got to get him the ball in the outfield, got to get him the – well, that's what Kamara's got. And that's what a Christian McCaffrey's got. And that's what Austin Eckler's got. And so you want to get these guys in space. And so it's really less about can he catch or not. They'll figure that part out, <laughs> right? It's more how can we get him in this green grass to let him do his thing to the best of his ability. And I think that's where ETN becomes pretty fun. And in today's style where everything's spread out, 
much like the college game, by the way, you can probably find more green grass than you used to be able to do it. Yeah, well, agreed. But let me ask you this then. Are we... So obviously now there's graphics with Travis Etienne and Debo Samuel on them, right? That are just all over Twitter. We put too. That, I haven't seen that today. But. Yeah, they're like side by side. Okay. Um, we putting too much on him. Like if he's not, These if he's not questions. this dude, like that we think he's gonna be. Like, are we gonna be like, what, what happened here? Well, these, these are that's really good questions. By the way, I want, do me a favor because I can't. Um, yep. Uh, pull this up quick enough. Give me Etienne's pass catching numbers at Clemson. So I got. I have them in front of me. So. Um, his first year, five catches. His second year, like I mentioned, 12 for 78. He ran for 1,600 yards. And then 2019, he had 37 for 432. And so that's his, the year. Yeah. yeah. And then la- his last season, the carries went way down. He played in all the games, but the carries went way down, and he had 48 catches for 588. Yeah, so, the, yeah, so he pr- obviously – that increase, the game changes a little bit, the offense changes, the weaponry changes, all this stuff. Um, but he, and that's why people talk about him as a, as a pass catcher. But I think you bring up a good point, and then I'll counter with this. Are we overplaying Debo Samuel's role? Like, are we too enamored with Debo Samuel? Should everybody want to be like Debo Samuel? Like, it's looked good, it's been good, but... Like, it's just a rare thing, isn't it? Or uh, Patterson from Atlanta has kind of done the same, right? Yeah, lower from, scale, but yeah. Yeah, lower. Yeah, I mean, he's not doing both. But he's he's really gone from kick returner specialist to uh, was a receiver to let's try him out of the backfield, but he doesn't look like a running back. Yeah. So is this a new wave? Or is this like pump the brakes? Not everybody's going to – not every team's going to have a Debo Samuel. Yeah, I think it's an interesting point. I think I think we might be a little infatuated with a guy like Debo Samuel because of how good it looked for that one year. But we don't know where it goes from here because we hadn't really seen him do that until last year, and then boom, it was there, and it was huge. And really, San Francisco needed it because they didn't have no running backs and they didn't really have any other receivers. So Debo had to play that role. But to your point, yeah, I think it's scary. Like, from a health standpoint, like, you're taking the position that has like the lowest longevity in the league and you're saying do more to potentially hurt yourself like and it, you have more chances to hurt yourself I guess if you're getting the ball now 200 times carrying it and then you know 70 times catching it like that that might be too much so I think the idea that you could potentially put somebody in even more risk than they need to be in especially a first year player like ETN man it just scares me yeah listen I I think that's that's an interesting thought. The other part about Debo Samuel is, like, Shanahan, I, I think Shanahan gets too much credit sometimes, but he is a pretty smart guy on offense. Mm-hmm. And he, you know, is is he the guy that's been able to make this work? Maybe more so than do you trust your own people to make it work like he's made it work? I think that's a fair question. Uh, but I want to go back to what you brought up, and, and more, I think, from the health standpoint. But I forget about the health for a minute. Hopefully, ETN's healthy and ready to go. It certainly appears like that. He's, he's looked really good at the a couple OTAs that we've been to. And uh, talking to him yesterday, he's got no ill effects from the Liz Frank. But I think you did bring up a good question. Are we putting too much on Travis ETN? Uh, and I, my answer is probably no. Yet, 
we have scar tissue from other people positions of the Jacksonville Jaguars, and we always go to the same guys here. Miles Jack, a guy like Taven Bryan, like where you try him at too many things at one time. That's where right now is the I think the lesson learned with a Trayvon Walker on the defensive side. Don't ask him to do too much. Let him get comfortable. Let him be good at at least one thing and then move on. Expand. Be versatile. Devin Lloyd might be the same way uh, for the Jacksonville Jaguars. Let him settle in and then evolve his position. I don't say that about ETN because of two reasons. One, to me, he is the guy that makes their offense dynamic and different. They don't. Ha- they tried to replace him on a lot of different uh, levels last year, and they couldn't. And so I think he's their dynamic piece that might make this offense go from maybe better anyway because Trevor's better and you added Christian Kirk and you got better at the tight end room and Doug Peterson's here, so it might be better anyway. But those, all those people don't make it necessarily different or dynamic. I think ETN does. The other part is I'm not sure you can put too much on a running back, Casey. Running back, by nature, I think is a – I don't want to be uh, – Maurice Jones-Drew would probably get mad at me if, I, if he heard me say this. But I think it's a simplistic position. Oh, boy. Well, I do. And this reason I say this, the, the, most, the most difficult part of being a running back, I think, is the pass pro stuff. You know, picking up blitzes, those kind of things. And so there's an element of that that, that has some sophistication to it. I think the other stuff, and there, again, there's a reason I say this. Anytime a running back, like Fred would miss OTAs or come into camp late or Mojo would have the holdout or – you get new running backs a lot of times, by the way, in midseason that come to new teams and actually, like, contribute, like, that week and right away. Because I think there's a basic nature to running the football in every scheme. And I think it's easier to pick up. And so I'm just going off past experience saying that. I'm not, at, I'm not speaking from a running back point of view. And therefore, I think the same would be even in a pass-catching role. So... I don't think his head is spinning. That's what I'm getting at. Yeah. Like these other guys that you're saying, hey, are we putting too much on, putting too much on from a versatility standpoint? Well, their head might be spinning because my rules are on this play or over here, and when I play this position, it's over here, and I got to be there. Like I got to be too many different um, landmarks on the field, all this stuff. I don't know if that's the case with a running back, with the exception of the picking up the blitzes and, and the pass protection. Um, and I think you're not necessarily asking the question from that standpoint. You're more asking, like, how much can this guy do to, like, save the Jags, right, and, yeah. and be the guy in the offense? I don't think they need him to have the 1,500-yard year with 10 touchdowns for them to be dynamic. I think they need him to be a threat. They need people to game plan for what he might do. And then he needs to be productive, as productive can be from that position. But it's also okay if James Robinson gets healthy and is a complimentary player in the backfield. But, so that's why I don't think he has to do that much because I think James Robinson also can shoulder some of the load or somebody else will have to if he's not healthy, Raquel Armstead or now uh, Snoop Connor, who they just drafted. I just I, I agree with you. I think James is a big part of this, but I think now with what we're talking about with him, we and everybody nationally, if at the end of the season we look up and it's, I don't know, 650 rushing and 300 receiving, like, are we going to be like, that was it? Like, are we going to be mad at that? Or are we going to be like, he's still technically a rookie? Like, I, I don't know now that we've put 
all this expectation into what he can do and what we think he's going to do. If it's not a crazy stat year, are we going to be like, well, we got let on? It's LaVisca Chenault all again. Like, is that what's going to happen? Yeah, we'll we'll see. Um, by the way, I still think there's reason to be excited about LaVisca Chenault. <laughs> I think he's going to have a better year than he had last year. And uh, I think it's okay to get excited about Travis Etienne. I think to your point, we've got to be careful of one thing. He can't make up for last year. So he can't put two years into one season. Right. So I think you're on to something a little bit there. But I think that's more of an internal thing for him, to try not to do too much. I don't think the expectation level internally is going to be like, man, we need this guy to do this. Now, you ask Trevor Lawrence, we need this guy to do this. That's a different story with Trevor. The expectation level, where, how much can he get better, how much will he do last year versus this year, well, that's a different animal because that's the nature of that position. But I don't think that would be the case uh, with Travis. So uh, we'll see. It's a good question, though, and an interesting conversation. I, everybody wants to be like Debo Samuel. Everybody, everybody wants to be like Mike. Yeah. yeah. Everybody, they should make a Gatorade commercial for everybody wants to be like Debo. Hey, that's a good idea. You should talk to his people. Let them know that's a good <laughs> idea. By the way, uh, on YouTube, Zamar says eight TDs, and that's okay. So I think that goes with, like, the stats I was saying. So as long as he's scoring touchdowns, like, are we good? I think we're good. Okay. Well, by the way, you're right. Um I, I mean, if they can get, well, first of all, eight touchdowns would feel like they're at least scoring more than, like, 15 points a game. Yeah, eight feels like a lot. <laughs> eight, it would be good. Yeah. It would be good. And and how they're going to do that, you know, that doesn't always tell the story either because who's their short yardage back. And what, what I would really look at is how many explosive plays can a guy like ETN have? And I don't know what the metric and number should be, but, like, to me, that's where he sets you apart. He's the guy you can give the ball anywhere on the field. And this is, Urban wasn't wrong about this. We don't have enough guys that we can give them the football on the field anywhere, and they can score from that spot. Mm -hmm. ETN is that guy. And by the way, Christian Kirk, they hope, can be that guy in some situations. So that's where this offense may evolve. Well, that was a long start to the show. But I love Action Sports Shacks on ESPN 690. We're live at Devoli's House of Cards. We'll be back, talk more football, a little NBA, a little golf. We'll mix a little bit of everything in on ESPN 690 here on a Wednesday. In the most respectful way possible, like, I really, it doesn't change how I feel about you guys as people, but I, I really don't like necessarily. It's not my job to care what you guys say or anyone else on social media. I mean, for me, it's I care about what the guys in the locker room think and what my coaching staff thinks. Hey, welcome back to Bowlers House of Cards. Brent Martin along with Casey Kurtz here on a Wednesday. Already Wednesday, middle of the week. That's what Memorial Day will do to you. Get that Monday off. And now we're floating toward a Friday. You ever, uh, you ever like put good hard work into finding a good soundbite to react to, and then you don't even have your headset on? Yeah, sorry, I didn't. I know it. I yeah. was, I was yapping with Mark, and he bought some pizzas. You're missing that too, so Dude, uh, I'm what the some heck? Pizza. Yeah, so we're just yapping away, and I didn't hear the soundbite. How awesome. good was the soundbite? It was good. I'll play it later. You want to play it again, like right now? Sure. I, th I, th I thought you'd have a reaction to it, you know? He's talking about the media, and no, I'll just play it. In the most respectful way possible, like, I really, it doesn't change how I feel about you guys as people, but I, I really don't, like, necessarily, it's not my job to care what you guys say or anyone else on social media. I mean, for me, it's, I care about what the guys in the locker room think and what my coaching staff thinks. Who is that? Uh, is that from the NBA Finals? No. Is that 
Tommy Pham? <laughs> no, it's Trey Lance. Oh, Trey Lance. Like, I mean, why would he even be saying that yet? The guy, I mean, is there any negative conversation about Trey Lance? Yeah, I mean, floating around there that he's not ready to play. Still? Yeah. Why do you think they sold Jimmy G? No, they have Jimmy G. Hasn't Shanahan been very open about that? Like, I appreciate that about Shanahan. He basically said, yeah, listen, I uh, thought he'd be traded by now, but he might be here because of the shoulder injury. Like, who says that? Isn't that the most, like, well, that's been just a quiet story at how transparent Shanahan, the 49ers, Garoppolo have been about the Garoppolo situation, which is cool. Because it's obvious. They traded up to get the third overall pick, not to get Mac Jones, but to get Trey Lance. Jimmy G keeps him on the bench, which might be better off for Lance and for the 49ers in the long run. But he brings him almost to the promised land again. They want to trade him. They can't trade him because of the surgery or other reasons. And now what? You're paying Jimmy G a good amount of money. You got this young kid, and they're like, yeah, we're trying to trade him. <laughs> like, we're trying to trade him. And that usually is not said in the media. So I think it's been a fascinating watch. And I think also a very, you know, the medical folks know a lot more and teams know a lot more about the medicals and whatever this injury is, like the, how severe the shoulder is or why that would be so concerning that now people are sitting on. There were plenty of teams that needed quarterbacks. Mm-hmm. Like, who made more sense for Washington? Jimmy Garoppolo or Carson Wentz? Not Carson Wentz. I mean, Carolina. Hello? Yeah, they need somebody. So what are they waiting on? What are they waiting to see from Jimmy Garoppolo? Seattle might be a different animal because, quite frankly, the 49ers might not want to trade him to Seattle. Right. Although I'm not sure you really should get your way, you know. I mean, you're trying to replace the guy. The guy should be able to go. True. Hopefully they're not holding it up for that, but I kind of get it inside the division. So it's, it's a really interesting situation, but I... Like, I haven't heard that as much. I don't read a lot of Trey Lance stuff. There's no reason for me to do so. But I haven't heard that, oh, he's not ready. Like, why wouldn't he be ready? He sat for the year. I'm just telling you what I see on Twitter, Brent. They're making yeah. those narratives about him. Yeah, Twitter, not my guy, Trey Lance. Twitter lies sometimes. Oh. But uh, my, point, my point in the conversation was, like, uh, I mean, really, like, worried. To the, he's played, like, three games in his NFL career. He's probably thrown like 15 passes in his NFL career. Probably a little bit more than that, but you get the point. And we're already like saying, yeah, I don't read I don't read anything. I don't care what you guys say. I don't care what Twitter says. <laughs> it's kind of early. It feels early, but I guess that's today's day and age uh, when it comes to, um, to, to sports in general. We were just having that conversation. Uh, we go back to psychology class here. Okay. We were just having that conversation yesterday with some of the savvy players like even on the Jags from a social media standpoint that enjoy social media, they're on it enough to know what people are saying about you. And see, I believe that you can see as much of that as you want to see. You will accidentally fall into some of that stuff based on the medium that it is. But you don't have to see all of it. Like now, if you want to go type your name in and people are talking about you, now you're going to see all of them. True. Right? Mm-hmm. But you don't have to. Like, depending on the people who follow you and talking about you and this and that, like, again, you might scroll through your timeline 
and you might see some of the criticism that you're getting. But you don't need to see all of it. And so I think, and I get it that they're on a grander scale, but I, I don't think the criticism on social media should or really does bother athletes as much as sometimes we in the media ask them if it bothers them. I think you're used to it. Yeah. By now. Like, now we've grown up around it. Well, they've grown up around it, not me, but, like, they've grown up around it. That's true. That's just part of the world. And I think they also have the perspective to know, all right, that, that person's a knucklehead that's probably talking about me and doesn't really know the whole story. Like, you got to be really careful to not inundate yourself with it to the point where you almost fool yourself into believing what they're saying about you. So I think that's a, a wild thing for um, today's athlete. But if you ask me this conversation, kind of what Trey Lance was talking about or what I'm talking about with, say, even a, a Jags player in a small town like Jacksonville, it feels small where Jags are the biggest thing by far, you still have to go find it. And if you asked me this six, seven years ago, then I'd be like, wow, that might be tough for a young player to handle. Well, that young player that six, seven years ago I was talking about, that player that's now 22, 23, 24 years old, they've already dealt with that in high school. They've dealt with that in college, and now they're dealing with it in the NFL. Like, they are used to that. Good, bad, indifferent. Mm -hmm. The only uh, maybe asterisk here would be that they probably didn't have a lot bad go wrong if they're in the NFL. So True. in high school they were probably pretty damn good and got a lot of that. Hey, nice work. We love you. You're the greatest. In college, probably the same thing. And now the NFL, where it's not working out, or as well as you thought, and you're facing some adversity for the first time, maybe in your playing career, which does happen, maybe that's where it gets amped out. Like, how am I going to handle that? Or if you're a coach, are you concerned that they're handling it the right way? If you're a parent of that person, can they handle it the right way? So it's um, like to get back to the quote that you just shared with us, Trey Lance, like his response doesn't like I believe him. I mean, a guy's been criticized probably since he was like in eighth grade. Every movie's made. Yeah. Whether he's going to be a th three star, a four star, a five star, you know, especially where he went to school. Some people, it, it wasn't like everybody was in love with Trey Lance. People have doubted Trey Lance. And can he do it at the next level and this level for a long time? So, like, I believe him. And I just kind of believe it for this day and age. Like, I mean, we might get to a point where even high school kids know how to deal with some of the criticism. It's a little out of bounds to do that, like I think. Yeah. But we might get to a point where they're so used to it, being in, the, in kind of almost in a public eye, in, in a social media kind of way, that it doesn't even bother that much. Yeah. Think about Arch Manning or Drew Jones right now. Like, they're not uh, getting a lot of criticism, but they're definitely in the spotlight. Yeah, that's a really good point. That's what I really do. That. That's a dangerous play for a 15-, 16-, 17-year-old kid because I think that can play with your psyche, and you're not wise enough, um, and you better have good people around you to, to lead you in the right direction. But uh, social media is, is just something these kids now at even 10, 11, 12, 13 years old, if they want to get into it, have, uh, have grown up around. Let's take a break. Action Sports Shacks on ESPN 690. We're live from Davoli's House of Cards here on a Wednesday.
when you start scouting a Golden State Warrior, it, you know, all of the coaches I've played for, even even the younger, uh, you know, coaches like, you know, Fizdale and all those coaches, one of the things we say is defensive discipline. And and, and that's, that's a key factor when you're guarding Steph one-on-one or in transition or um, uh, in, in pick and roll or, or in, in any type of movement or any type of action with Steph and Clay. Uh, we, had, we literally had different types of we had different rules when it was Steph and Clay in those situations as opposed to anyone anyone else. I know who that is, but I know they're talking about the NBA Finals. Oh, uh, you know who that is. You, you're That's just your looking... guy, Chris Canty? No. No, it wasn't good enough take. But you're just looking for a way to disrespect this man. So anytime I see his name, I throw him in because I know you're going to get a shot about his restaurant. Oh, that's uh, Vince Carter. Yeah. Vince Carter. <laughs> the Vince Carter's restaurant survived longer than – well, I mean, heck, when you're making $18 million a year probably, uh, to sit 12th guy on the bench still playing at like 40 years old, you can afford to keep your restaurant open. True. I just know you like you usually like take a shot at him, so I was like, I'll work Vince into the show. I'm not, not, not taking a shot at him, by the way. I just thought it was I mean, it was real. Like I thought uh, every time you go down to Daytona, by and I've said this too. Like Daytona, right now it's right where the Bucky's is. Yep. Like that's where the restaurant there's another restaurant there. I have no idea what the name of it is. But Vince Carter had a restaurant for like every time I went to Daytona, it seemed like for a decade. And there were, like, three cars in the parking lot. Yep, there you go. Like, every time. Yep. And and now, if you if Vince had kept it, like, now it would probably be booming. Because that that exit's, like, super busy. Yeah, they built the, the, the outlets over there and Bucky's, and he'd probably be doing really well. Probably. But I would love to see, like, I don't know what they call it in the restaurant business, but eventually I'd like to see, like, what you would know as the bottom line. Like, how much business did they really do? And how much did he lose on that venture? Yeah. Because he probably did better than I think. Uh, he would have to. It just to, worked out that, like, every time I went by, not a lot of people were there. But maybe I wasn't going by on Thursday, Friday, Saturday nights or something. You yeah. Know, where it was a little more busy. <laughs> That's it. Like, okay. Every time I got to talk about this every time because you bring it up. So that for all our new listeners are like, "What the hell are you talking about, Vince Carter? Why do you ha- hate his restaurant?" Well, I'm just saying you I can't don't hate the restaurant. I just it was like a it was a phenomenon that it kept staying open. You can't come into the show one day and be like, "I don't know whoever ate there. Why would you eat there? There's nobody ever there. I'd stay in business." I can't <laughs> let that go for the rest of the time. So anytime I see Vince Carter sound, I don't care what he's talking about. I'm putting it in the show. I I don't think I actually ate there. Of course you didn't. Because it was, I think we stopped in to eat there one time. So I've been inside and weren't a lot of people there. But I, it was way more upscale or higher priced than like us just coming back from doing uh, the Daytona 500 qualifier and the station paying for it. <laughs> so now you're going after this man's prices in the restaurant? Well, no, I mean, that's fine. It was more upscale. Like, I didn't know. I, th- I thought it might be a like a true sports bar, that but I think sense. it was an upscale sports bar. Which yeah. of those exist? Probably just shouldn't have existed when it did and at, <laughs> at Daytona exit. <laughs> um, anyway, we love Vince. Do we? And by the way, Vince, he doesn't care about his restaurant. He's serious. How much money? Go ahead. I want you to look this up. How much money did Vince Carter make in his career? I bet he made, let me guess. Um... <laughs> 
I bet he made over two hundred and forty million. Nope. Less? Like a lot less? Uh, a lot less than two forty, yeah. Really? Yeah. All right, give it to me. I'm not going to guess. One seventy-one. Yeah, that's pretty significant. Less. Now yeah, listen. But I mean, one seventy-one's pretty good. You don't need anybody <laughs> to eat the restaurant ever again. He'll be all right. You know. <laughs> yeah. He could keep that open as a landmark. Exactly. And to <laughs> your point, those last couple years where he never played at all, two point four, two point three, and the Kings paid him eight million. I, I have no say, idea. Is that why. all you make at the end? Like you only make two and a half. You can get paid in the NBA two and a half million. Yeah, it's like the vet minimum in twenty. Is it really? Yeah, it's probably gone up. I mean, that's the thing for events. Like, imagine if he. In his prime, like I'm looking right now, the highest yearly salary he was ever paid was $17 million by Phoenix in 2010-2011. Imagine if he paid now. He'd be getting just stacks. Well, see, that's maybe that's what I'm thinking. You know, like what I think of... They're paying everybody out here. I think of J.J. Redick. J.J. Redick, was it like his second to last year? Yeah, I know. Well, then he made $23 million to go yeah. play with the Sixers? Yeah, and I mean, shooting. Well, and by the end, he had a pretty good year, too, right? Like, I think he was pretty good. Yeah, I mean, he was serviceable. But if I'm Vince Carter, I'm like, wait a minute. That dude, like, in his second to last year made $23 million? Yeah. And I'm making, like, $2.5 million at the end of somebody's bench? Like, I'm Vince Carter. Reddick, <laughs> Reddick made $23 million in 2017-2018. Yeah, that's nuts. He made 116 total in his career. God. And by the way, that 23 was the highest he ever got paid, ever. Well, it was, huh? Mm-hmm. That's a crazy money. NBA's crazy money. A little bit. Uh, hey, the speaking of the NBA, Celtics Warriors tomorrow. Yep. Uh, by the way, you can hear it on ESPN. So, what are we doing? Are we going in? It's in, uh, are we joining that in progress, or are we playing that game one? Because we have the shrimp as well, don't we? We got the shrimp in the afternoon. Oh, that's an afternoon game tomorrow. So we got we got shrimp. At 11.50, coverage starts. Oh, okay. Then we got the show from 3 Action to 6. Action on ESPN 690. That's what this one's called. Yep. Then we got OT, 6 to 7. And then we got basketball. I think it starts at 8. Oh, uh, the pregame starts at 8. Yep. Tip-off's at like 9. Yeah, that's what it is. Tip-off's at 9. Coverage starts at 8. So, literally, a whole lot going on here tomorrow. And as far as I understand it, I'm the only one working. Yeah, so you're not – well, you, you are working – you're doing you're doing the show by yourself tomorrow? No. Oh, okay. Middle I'm just trying to make it show. sound like more dramatic. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm like, doing I'm doing the shrimp game. Like I would ca- I would cancel Action Sports Shacks overtime tomorrow. Night. Probably like, should. Yeah. Like why do four hours? You're doing the three hour show. You know, just gotta three I gotta to six. I gotta build the brand. Like there there may be people that just tune in at six. Brand, I don't want to let them down. Oh, that's fair. It's a different vibe. Like I yell sometimes, and like I don't know, just it's a vibe. All right, Celtics Warriors. Okay. I'm not that fired up for it because I know how it ends. Like, yeah. the Warriors are going to win. Yeah, probably. And, like, I don't hate the Warriors, oh, but I'm tired of the go. Warriors. Here we go. Are the you mouth- tired of the Warriors? The mouthpiece, Vince Carter's restaurant. What a segment. Yeah. Um, are, you, are you tired of the Warriors? No. You're not? No, not really, because, like, they were bad for, like, the last couple of years. Like, one. Yeah, but it's six out of eight, man. I mean. No, like, I, I'm not tired. They still had KD, maybe. Like, I'm not tired of it because I think this was an interesting point. I heard Amari Sotomayor say it earlier on this station, but, like, those are two teams that they drafted and built up. So, like, besides the KD part of it, like, sure, they got Wiggins, but Clay, Steph, Draymond, those guys, like, they've been there. Jordan Poole. And then you look at Boston, it's like Tatum, Brown, they drafted them. 
Like, it's two teams that didn't really buy. Marcus Smart's another one. They didn't really buy their players. So I think that's intriguing on both sides. But, yeah, I'm not sick of Golden State because I got nothing against Clay or Staff. I like them. That's a good point. I mean, it is nice that they, again, I applaud the heck out of Golden State. I, I don't hate them, despise them. They're, they're, they are one of, the, one of the best constructed teams of the last 10 years that we've seen um, by far. But, like, I'm not a huge Celtics fan anymore. I'm not going to pretend to be. I don't follow them. Larry Bird's days are long past. True. But I'll, like, root for the Celtics. But even if I didn't, like, I'd probably root for the, I'd root for the Heat. Yeah. Because I, I'm just tired of the Warriors winning. What, what are you more, like, what makes you more angry? The mouthpiece or the fact that Vince Carter's restaurant stayed in business so long? Uh, really the mouthpiece. Eh. Yeah, the mouthpiece is so annoying, even though I like Steph Curry. And by the way, he re- ripped his gloves oh, like, yeah, I during saw. an off day. Yeah, I saw to the NBA Finals. I mean, you got to take care of business. Priorities. He's got to play in the uh, the Tahoe. <laughs> I'll take a break. We're live from the Voice House of Cards. Action Sports Jacks on ESPN 690.